Before we begin today's episode of the podcast, I just want to take a moment to say that we open this podcast with a complete and full reading of Survivor Chrissy Bixler's impact statement in the Danny Masterson case. While we think it's really, really important to amplify survivors' voices and to detail their stories exactly as they portray them, we also understand that this content contains a lot of detailed and graphic instances of trauma-inducing events. If that is not your thing, if that uh, may cause you harm, we hope that you'll just go ahead and skip through. The reading of the impact statement is about eight minutes long, so feel free to skip ahead if this is something you need to do to take care of yourself. Your safety is our number one concern. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Root for Each Other, a Branches podcast, where we take a meaningful look at the dynamics of domestic violence and how trauma-informed, inclusive advocacy can make a difference. The opinions on this podcast are ours individually and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Branches. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Root for Each Other, a Branches podcast. I am here today with my friend and colleague, Emily Lingenfelter. Hello. And, of course, my name is Sarah Blevins O'Toole, and I'm the Director of Development here at Branches. We have put together, we've taken some time to get together and record this podcast episode because we're both pretty concerned with the... um, media surrounding Danny Masterson's conviction that has just come out this week. And um, as DV advocates, we have a lot of opinions about that. And we thought it might be cool for us to just get together and chat it out. So um, I would love to start this podcast by just reading the victim statement of Jane Doe number three, who we now know is Chrissy Carnell Bixler, and we're going to talk a little bit later about why we think this one is particularly important, but I think it will become apparent as I read. So here is her full published victim statement. Before I begin, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for allowing me the freedom of choice to use my voice today. You will never know how much this means to me, and my hope is that it helps me in my healing. Thank you, Your Honor. I understand that, for many, it's difficult to believe that anyone would stay in a relationship like the one I was in with Danny Masterson. That difficulty was at the forefront of my mind when I spoke to detectives, it was at the forefront of my mind when I spoke to prosecutors, and it's at the forefront of my mind as I stand here today. How can I tell anyone that I had gotten myself in a situation where I was regularly, mentally, and emotionally abused and raped repeatedly? That's partly why I focused on the one rape that I reported to Scientology. Certainly, I answered every question that was asked of me by detectives to the best of my ability. However, there was one question I wish I had been asked that never was, one question that perhaps would make people understand. And the question I needed someone, anyone, to ask me was, why did you hide from Danny Masterson for over two hours in your roommate's bedroom the day after he came to your house party? Because there was a reason, and Mr. Masterson knows that reason. He always has. And I know the reason for why I ultimately ignored my intuition and forced myself to view what he did to me, not as it actually was. 
because Mr. Masterson was very charming. So charming, in fact, he convinced my roommates that perhaps what he had done to me the night before wasn't so bad. After he left, after waiting the two hours while I hid, my roommates told me how sweet he is, how romantic it is that this poor guy waited for you for over two hours. Who does that? Give him a chance, apologize to him. And so I abandoned my intuition and did just that. When he called me, I apologized to him and accepted a date. Two weeks later, I was moved in with him. I was ordered to no longer be friends with my roommates and my friend who was present that night, the night he first sexually assaulted me. The very act that made me fear him and hide, the very thing that I forced myself to view not as it actually was. For now, I saw him as someone who loved me, someone I trusted, someone I quickly loved back. I entered that relationship an 18-year-old girl with very little life experience. I was extremely naive and trusting. I entered that relationship with friends, family, a career, money, and dreams. Within a very short period, I was stripped of every friend I knew, my family, my job, and the belief that my dreams could ever be realized because I trusted him. I believed him when he called me stupid, untalented, embarrassing, trash. I believed him. But I never stopped trying to make him proud of me. I never stopped trying to think of ways to earn his kindness. When he was kind to me, it gave me hope. It gave me promise that maybe if I can just endure what I cannot now forgive, that maybe he could return to the person he showed me at the beginning of our relationship. I now know that was his game, the cycle of abuse. He'd hurt me, he'd ignore me. I'd grovel at his feet, apologizing to him for what he did to hurt me. Then he'd show me kindness. It's incredibly difficult for me to talk about the trauma and abuse I've experienced in my life. I have realized through the last few years that the reason is Danny Masterson. Early on in our relationship, Mr. Masterson would ask me about certain traumatic things that happened to me. He wanted all the details. In Scientology, it's called finding a person's ruins. Mr. Masterson wanted to know anything and everything that I believed had ever ruined me. Later, once I was good and trapped, he would reenact those traumatic experiences on me. To speak of the impact of rape for me is viewing my body as a crime scene my entire adult life and never being able to call out for help out of fear and shame and not wanting people to see me the way I see me, broken, deformed. When you're raped, it's not your surface that's been most defiled. It damages you on a cellular level. I honestly still don't even have the words to properly describe what being raped does to you. I just know the symptoms. I've suffered insomnia. I would oftentimes stay awake for 24 hour periods. I hate the dark. I cannot sleep next to anyone, not even my husband, my sweet husband. I don't know what I did to deserve such a good and decent and gentle man, always patient and never questioning. He's never in 14 years of marriage ever made me think he would ever harm me in any way. Yet, I cannot sleep in a bed next to him. I harm myself in my sleep. I regularly wake up with deep bruises and scratches on my hands and arms. In 2017, I punched a hole in the wall behind my bed during my sleep. I'm always fighting monsters. In 2016, after finding out I wasn't the only victim, I had my first panic attack. I went to the emergency room because I thought I was dying. I remember forcing them to run all these tests. The doctor came back and told me that this is one of the worst panic attacks he had ever witnessed. He told me I needed to take a pill. I remember sitting there on oxygen and still not being able to breathe with my heart beating out of my chest. And I told the doctor that I couldn't take psychiatric medication 
because Scientology believes psychiatry is the root cause of all evil. The doctor told me I had to take the pill. I took it, and 20 minutes later, my symptoms went away. I could breathe. I wasn't having a heart attack. I wasn't dying. I had my first panic attack. After reporting Mr. Masterson to law enforcement, me and my family started being fair gamed by Scientology, just as they had threatened they would do back in 2002. I have been diagnosed with PTSD, general anxiety, and panic disorder. I also developed severe trichotillomania. I haven't been diagnosed as agoraphobic, but I can count on two hands the amount of times I've left my home in the last few years. I have physical health issues. I throw up. I started getting blinding migraines accompanied by visual auras. I go through phases where I have such severe body pains like my nerves and parts of my body are on fire. This and so much more is the life sentence Mr. Masterson and Scientology have given me. So I think we wanted to share her impact statement because as advocates for domestic violence victims, it is such a familiar story. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've, like, as we were sitting through here reading this, going through our dangerousness and lethality assessment in my head, like, okay, this checks this box, this checks this box. And when I sit and go through that with a client or talk about anyone forcing them to have any kind of intercourse or forcing forcing themselves on that client, that's always, there is a question a lot of times of, well, I don't know, we were dating or we were married. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I just kept hearing those clients' voices in my head, you know, reading through this. It's, you know, the, and that's what I think the general public, there's still a lot of, there's this, like, misconception that it can't be rape or it can't be an assault if you're in, in a relationship with that person. It has to be a stranger, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And, again, no one here wants to play the Olympics of suffering. Mm -hmm. But I do think that we have a different cultural perception of sexual assault than we do domestic violence Mm -hmm. that happens over the long term. But what we know is that often the traumatic symptoms that show up, the reactions to trauma, are very, very similar. Mm -hmm. I think here there is also just a point that has to be made. If you're not following the Danny Masterson trial, it's important to say that he was convicted and received a 30 years to life sentence. That is a big, big deal in the world of justice for survivors. It's not a very common occurrence, would mm-hmm. you say? No, not at all. Like that was why I can remember you know, my boyfriend and I talking about this when the sentencing happened the other day. Like it, it, there's a reason it's so big. We were with a group of people and the other people we were with didn't understand. They're like, oh yeah, we thought, you know, he'd already been found guilty. Yeah, he'd already been found guilty of some of these counts. But the fact that 30 years to life is huge. Like that is, and if you work in this field and or you have any experience, you know, if a loved one has, has gone through the criminal criminal procedure, you know, for their assault, you realize you don't always get any kind of outcome worth cheering over. And this is, this is worth, you know, a a sigh of relief for sure. Absolutely. And so we want to make very sure that we're, that we say like, yeah, it's great to see that there is, um, an appropriate justice response Mm -hmm. in this case. But I do think there is an element of sadness here. The victim impact statement that we just read, as I mentioned, that was the the words of Chrissy Bixler, who was the only victim, to my knowledge, that did not receive a conviction for her crimes against her, for the crimes against her. And so I think we have to ask why that is. 
I think I, and I kind of got ahead of myself earlier knowing what we were going to be talking about, but I, I think that there is this common misconception, not only within the public, but within the system. And that is the biggest problem. Like the public can have different perceptions on things, but when there is this different understanding within the system of what classifies an assault, even when it's written in within code um, or within policy of this is how you handle this and this is what defines this term. But it it's really difficult to, to think that somebody went through this repeatedly and um, and again not not to compare anyone suffering, but you know she she talks about going through multiple instances of rape and assault from him by his hands and to not be validated in that and to not know like hey yeah we we know that you survived this and this is what you went through and we want to bring justice for what happened against you that's tough I mean I can't imagine being in her shoes I feel that has to be kind of a, a bittersweet moment of yeah this there's justice that was brought forth against this against this person but not for what they did to me. Mm -hmm. And also, I think I think about the nature of healing, and especially mm -hmm. healing from trauma. And um, I had this real moment, this real personally very intimate moment, when I was preparing for this podcast. I just Googled her name to, mm -hmm. to get the information that I needed to speak correctly for the podcast. And the first thing that came up was a picture of her with Danny Masterson. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how painful mm -hmm. that would be if even now, mm -hmm. even all these t this time later, she speaks of at least 14 years of marriage, mm -hmm. when, she, when she's Googled, pictures of her with her abuser comes up. Right. That's terrible. That, it would just be a terrible feeling. It would feel inescapable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, too, here, there is, if you're, if you're aware of this story, what you might be aware of is not just the conviction of Danny Masterson, but also the sort of celebrity upheaval that is happening in response to uh, Danny Masterson's conviction. Um, I'll bet you have heard that Ashton Kutcher and uh, Mila, what's her name? Kunis. Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis have released statements of support for uh, Danny Masterson, which is, in my opinion, frankly shocking. Well, there were also, uh, there were statements of report from the two the actors that play Kitty and Red Foreman from mm -hmm. that 70s show. And all of these people... Now, I don't know that Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis are, but I know that the the, the actors that play Kitty and Red, they um, are tied to Scientology. And there's a whole... We could do a whole podcast series on abuse within mm -hmm. different, you know, religious sects or in different organizations or cults or whatever, but that there's a whole other level there. But I know that they reached out to Laura... Prepron, prep, mm -hmm. Prepron, and she denied she did not do a victim impact statement, which is interesting because she was very closely tied to Scientology for many years, but I don't believe that she is anymore. I do think that it would be remiss of us not to at least mention, as Chrissy Bixler does multiple times in her impact statement, that there is a connection here to Scientology. Mm -hmm. And I think what I would say about that, I, I think about this all the time, I was raised in a religion that has often been referred to uh, with cult-like mm -hmm. language. And what I find is that it's not the followers of the religion, mm -hmm. usually, that are the problem. It is that that type of structure attracts narcissists and abusers. Mm -hmm. it's, Absolutely. It's very easy for someone to mask mm -hmm. and really only show that charming side. 
And so do I think that every person that is attached to a particular religion, a particular belief system such as Scientology is an abuser? No, I don't think that. But I think it's very easy. Um, it creates an environment in which abuse can thrive. I 100% I agree. And I think that if you're listening to this, if you have any interest in learning more about Scientology, there is a, a movie or a documentary that was made years ago. It was, I think it was just called My Scientology Movie. And it's a documentary set up and you can kind of see what that structure really is like. Mm-hmm. The, the way that it's the control. It's if you sit down and do a dangerousness and lethality assessment with not just a person, but with a group and say, okay, how lethal is this group to these people that, that, you know, follow this. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was, it's really interesting. So like that 70s show was years ago that, that went on. That was what, I think that ended in the early 2000s. I agree. But didn't they just have like a, so there was just, there was a reboot. that was that 90s show on Netflix. And I believe like Ashton and Mila were involved in that. Danny Masterson was not though, because Danny Masterson and Ashton also, they're very close. They did the ranch together on Netflix and played brothers on there. And when these accusations originally came out about Danny Masterson, Netflix dropped him from the ranch and they killed off his character and there was this big mystery. But their statement, (laughs) their statement, it was particularly alarming coming from them due to, you know, their outside charity work. And well, that's what I mean by frankly shocking. Yeah. yeah, My, as you know, I am not the pop culture advocate, (laughs) not a pop culture Barbie here. (laughs) I, I rarely understand what's happening in pop culture short of what I see doom scrolling through TikTok. (laughs) That's who I am. However, what I am very aware of is typically what's going on in the world of nonprofit. Right. And so what I know about Ashton Kutcher is that he is a very strong spokesperson for a human trafficking organization. That's wild to me. Yeah, that is the, in his statement, um, speaking about how he is, you know, the character of Danny, they did Katie's character statements. They have stated since then, they have come out with an apology video. I, I noticed that. <laughs> um, and if you are listening to this and you are a pop culture person, their apology video, the really the only good thing I've heard about it is that it didn't have a ukulele in it. So, oh. that's a, <laughs> which that's a whole nother level. Like if you know, if you if you're into the pop culture apology videos, you get it. But they, uh, yeah, they, they came out, the apology was horrible. It was, it seemed very put on. It seemed very staged. I'm sure there was a script. I heard people saying like, oh, it sounds like there's a script. I'm sure there was because, you know, whether you're sincere or not, you know, you don't want to flub up those words. But because they did, they affected a lot of people, a lot of victims who have looked to them as look at what these people are using their power to, like they're using their power for good. And then for them to come out in support of him, I think really hurt a lot of folks. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, This is what I cannot stop thinking about. And it's also one of the reasons why we kind of made the decision to begin this episode with uh, an actual reading of the entire victim statement. It's really saddening to me that what is like what is getting into people's feeds, what is like really popping up is this statement in support of the convicted rapist. Whereas I had to go digging for this victim statement. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a small scale example of a large scale problem. We are still so interested in what's being said 
in favor of the abuser and not listening to what is being said about what actually happened. And I think that's a problem. Um, I've been looking up right here while you were talking. I wanted to read what Christina Ricci came out and said about this because I think this is something that a lot of people do have to face when somebody that you know or love is accused of doing something terrible. I think for anybody, our first instinct is to think, oh, of course not. Like, of course, there's no way they could have done that. And I don't have the full um, the full post here, but I'll read a, an excerpt of what she said. She said, so sometimes people we have loved and admired do horrible things. They might not do these things to us, and we only know who they were to us, but that doesn't mean they didn't do those horrible things, and to discredit the abused is a crime. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, I don't know, I think that I was, I love Christina Ricci, but I was I was very happy that she stepped forward and said something about this. I, I will say that, now, I, don't, I can't prove this again, Hashtag not pop culture Barbie. (laughs) But I know that she went on to say that this is the first step in believing survivors. Yeah. Which I think is a beautiful, beautiful statement. Mm -hmm. And also, I like that she is sort of just that conversation of using her power. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's involved in this situation in she's any not, way. Yeah, yeah that this. I've seen, she's got no involvement. She did say, you know, she said, unfortunately, I've known a lot of awesome guys who were lovely to me who have been proven to be abusers privately. I've also had personal experience with this. Believe victims. It's not easy to come forward. It's not easy to get a conviction. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you know, she's had to deal with this in her own life. She knows, you know, the situation that Ashton and Mila Kunis are in. So, but it, it shouldn't be that difficult to, to take pause. Even if, you know, even if you have a doubt in your mind, I think it doesn't hurt to err on the side of caution and say, yeah, I, I all we know of each other in the world ever are what we portray to, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, is what we portray to the world. So, you know, you're going to know one version of somebody that does not exist behind closed doors, possibly. And it, there are great people in this world. And there are terrible people, in the, people in this world. Um, I told Sarah right before we started that I saw a comment on a YouTube video that was discussing this. And they said, um, you know, it's strange that Ashton Kutcher says that Danny Masterson is a great guy and has this great character because BTK was known <laughs> as a great father and as a great friend. And that person was a serial killer. So it just goes to show you that the people that that you know they everyone is capable of something terrible mm-hmm. i think i think also there is an element here too i mm, i'm careful usually not to paint everyone with the same brush right however i think that it's also really important to remember that especially in the dynamics of domestic violence the abuser is setting up their environment in which they can go uncaught mm-hmm. so if you look at it from that point of view they're going to develop these really great relationships with other people that can have their back mm-hmm. when things go south because they have to present like that that illusion of respectability, that illusion of charm. But when it's just like if you look back through this victim impact statement, she talks about how he charmed the socks off of her friends when he needed them, when he needed them to have his back. And then two weeks later, they're living together. He doesn't need her friend support And anymore. also two weeks later... They're not allowed to speak anymore. Exactly. So he, yeah. he cut them off as quick as, mm-hmm. but in the moment, he was he needed charming. That. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And to me, that is the, like, mechanization mm-hmm. of abuse. That is the, like, not only am I abusive to that individual person, but I create the environment 
mm-hmm. which that abuse can thrive. And maybe maybe I'm actually spinning off into another podcast I want to do about <laughs> environments in which abuse can thrive. Mm. But narcissists, abusers are good at creating that mm-hmm. for themselves. Absolutely. Like I said, I, I really feel that this was a timely podcast to record. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's really tough to see this person who could be the public face of any number of victims that we have worked with this year, Mm -hmm. not receive the justice that she deserves because her story is rooted in domestic violence. And I'm not, again, I want to be really careful when I say this. I'm not saying that domestic violence has more or less than weight than the crime of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that we culturally perceive it a different way. And I do believe that that is an influence in the conviction of Danny Masterson. Absolutely. But, you know, I think the most important thing to me, or the reason why I thought it was just so urgent and so important to record this podcast this week, is that as soon as I heard this story, as soon as I looked further into Chrissy Bixler's impact statement, and just the whole case in general, I couldn't help but notice that DV is such a subverted narrative in it so subverted that in fact it is explicitly described it is talked about but it is never actually named no one is saying this is a case of domestic violence and I think that's just a problem in general and I think maybe worse than it just being a problem in general it also solidifies this idea that for survivors of domestic violence they can experience long-term harm we heard all of those pretty horrific symptoms of trauma that Chrissy Bixler is navigating in her life. And we know that that is a long-term thing. She talked about 14 years of marriage having this problem. And it still feels like that domestic violence survivors has have no recourse for that and receive very little justice. And so I guess at the end of the day, what that tells me is that it's more important than ever for all of us to go out and root for each other. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, you can call us 24-7 at 304-529-2382. For more information on the dynamics and impact of abuse, check out our website at branchesdvs.org.